Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, We are up to like episode number 620, which this episode probably should have been episode number 420, and you'll find out why in just a second. But before we get started, I have to thank the first sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Spectrum Reach. Now, Spectrum Reach, they know three things better than anyone. Number one, they know how to harness the power of multi-screen advertising. Number two, they know how to offer simplified one-stop shop destination for marketing solutions. And number three, they know what makes our cities and towns tick because they're our neighbors. They are the most trusted partner, a media partner in America. To find out more, visit them at spectrumreach.com. All right, so today I have Nick Kovacevic here with me on Making Waves at Sea Level. And Nick is making waves for his company and his industry because Nick works in and around the cannabis industry. But here's the weird thing. He works with ancillary products, meaning they make the packaging, the vape pens, and other things that help the cannabis companies deliver their product. And as you can imagine, and we've had a couple of other episodes with people who work in and around cannabis, that's an industry that has a lot of challenges. So Nick... Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Glad to have you here. It's kind of a small world. It turns out my father-in-law was Nick's high school Spanish teacher. So it's amazing what you can learn by just doing a LinkedIn search on somebody. (laughs) And I'm sad to report that I'm not fluent in Spanish. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure that's not my father-in-law's fault, Nick, but we (laughs) (laughs) we won't go into that. So, Nick, tell us a little bit about your company, Cush Company. Well, Kush Company, uh, Kush Co Holdings, we are actually pretty unique because we just celebrated on December 2nd our 10-year anniversary, uh, which is rare for a company uh, in the legal cannabis industry to be around uh, for 10 years. I was just going to say, we were joking before we got started that I also work for an executive search firm, and the firm is really well positioned in helping companies find key executives who work in the cannabis field. And it's interesting because we were joking about it's hard to go back and find somebody with 10 years experience uh, who wasn't <laughs> who wasn't on the street corner, right? Exactly, exactly. So um, I might be in demand now. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, we, you know, we started as uh, really with the, the idea of, you know, picks and shovels provider. Uh, we knew that cannabis was, or we believed that cannabis was going to become uh, a sort of a gold rush or a green rush. And uh, it, for us to position ourselves to sell the little widgets um, that everybody needs on a daily basis and without actually touching the plant, and keep in mind, 10 years ago, uh, there was significant risk in touching the plant, even doing it in a medical legal state you were still at risk of going, you know, federal prosecution, um, federal raids, et cetera. Um, so we like the positioning from that standpoint, less risky and reoccurring revenue because we're trying to capture a small piece of every transaction that occurs. And there's also a lot that has to go with, you know, how scalable a business is. A plant touching business has a lot of red tape, not that we don't have red tape. So there was a lot of reasons that we, we liked, being ancillary 
Um, and you know, it's paid off. We've expanded the business tremendously. Um, we have over a hundred employees do over a hundred million in annual sales, and we're able to service uh, companies all throughout North America. So that's actually fascinating that 10 years ago you said, Hey, let's get into this business. But California, it wasn't recreationally legal. There wasn't dispensaries open. There was just the, the the medical part. And so it's interesting that you looked at it and said, okay, let's look out into the future. How can we navigate this? And you came up with this idea of, of doing, you know, sort of the ancillary products. So describe what types of products you make. What do you do? Yeah. So we started the company under the name Kush Bottles. Uh, and really because we had uh, access to these child resistant pop top vials, which um, were similar to your traditional pharmaceutical vial, um, but different in our opinion, um, something that could really be more identifiable with this emerging uh, medical industry, which isn't like your traditional, you know, pharmaceutical medical industry, right? So something similar, but differentiated. Uh, They were a little bit more cool. Uh, We could get them in all sorts of colors. And, you know, we started building the portfolio around that. We added labels, you know, to go on the vials. Uh, We noticed some people preferred, you know, child-resistant bags versus vials. Um, And so we slowly started to build out this portfolio, which today, you know, if you look at our catalog, it's, you know, thousands and thousands of SKUs, you know, across a myriad of form factors. Um, And the regulations for cannabis, you know, you mentioned when we started, there were no regulations. The regulations have evolved state by state and even country by country. And we've had to adapt the product portfolio to meet and exceed those regulatory requirements in each of those markets. So have you always been an entrepreneur? Were you like the guy in high school who had like a DJ business or something like that? (laughs) You know, the funny thing is my, my business partner was that guy. We, We talked before the show. He was a DJ Dazzy D and uh, he was was mixing it up for the sweet 16 parties and the high school dances. And, um, you know, we were best friends all through high school, played basketball together. And then um, in college, he started another business. It was a moving and storage business uh, called pack my dorm. And uh, when I finished my college basketball career, unfortunately uh, with a, with an ACL knee injury, uh, I was, you know, recovering from surgery and had nothing but, Uh, time on my hands to help my friend. Uh, And I ended up getting into business with him. We, uh, we sold long story short, we sold the the pack my dorm business um, and and then used the proceeds of that to start Kush bottles uh, 10 years ago, which became Kushko holdings uh, just a couple years ago. Nice. Nice. So it's interesting because in, in looking at your website, you guys do business in, in all the States that have both recreational and medical uh, marijuana and then around the world in Europe and, and in other, and other places. So when you started the business, did you have, did you have the vision that this was going to be such a global business that it's becoming? Uh, no, uh, we, you know, it's funny because we didn't even think of it as a business. We thought of it as a hustle, right? We looked at the economics and we knew we could buy a container of these vials, you know, at the time for about 25 grand and we could go door to door and, and sell, you know, three, four, 10 boxes at a time to these, dis, you know, these medical dispensaries that were popping up and uh, we could double our money and we could turn 25 into 50 grand. And then the idea was we could now go buy two containers and we could turn 50 grand into a hundred grand and just keep keep it going. This is reoccurring revenue. So 
no, we didn't have an idea of, hey, we're going to build out this, you know, ancillary business that's going to support this global cannabis regulated cannabis industry. It was really, hey, there's an opportunity here in California with these, you know, emerging medical dispensaries. And, you know, as a couple of young kids, you know, fresh out of college, you know, we could make a little bit of money. Uh, that That's what we had on our mind. And, you know, it turned out those those early days was, was a lot tougher than we had thought. Uh, and we were fighting against, uh, obviously, all the normal challenges that any uh, startup business would have. But also, you know, combine that with the fact that cannabis was federally illegal. And at the time, the federal government was coming in, raiding, shutting down and arresting our clients. Uh, we also had to battle local and, and county uh, municipalities that were constantly trying to shut down these dispensaries. And it was tough. Uh, we, we were growing the business, but, um, you know, there, there wasn't the, the free cash flow that we thought there would be. And, you know, as a result, Dallas and I, um, you know, we ended up having to go out and uh, do other hustles and, and other side businesses and led to us starting another company that's actually become a very large uh, over the last eight years as well, a company called Big Rents that does uh, construction equipment rental uh, software. It's a marketplace. And uh, we're actually gearing up to, um, uh, you know, expand that business uh, via acquisitions and, and there's a CEO and everything in place. So it, it's, it's amazing that um, the industry did take off the way it did. And we recognized it at some point, right? When Colorado legalized, we saw that as a, as sort of a, you know, really it was a landmark um, sort of data point to say, hey, if this can happen in Colorado, um, it's it's likely to happen in other states. And we knew California was only a matter of time, which is the biggest state in the country. So we did get get the vision at some point, but not at the very early days. Uh, you know, I'd be lying if I said that. So how long has California had it legal now for recreational? So the medical law was 1996, and it took a while for that uh, law, which actually was constructed to be more of a community co-op, um, some smart lawyers turned it into a business framework. Um, so that was 96. And really the dispensary started popping up in the, in the early mid two thousands. Um, and then, you know, at some point it was basically a full blown commercial industry and they tried to regulate the medical market, but you know, it was right when adult use was getting popular. So they said, let's just skip that and we'll go right to adult use. It was approved by the voters in 2016 and it was implemented and rolled out January 1st, 2018. So you've really seen this kind of like blossom and explode, at least in the California market in the last couple of years. And now during that two years, so many other states have followed. What have been some of the biggest challenges that you've faced? Because obviously I would guess the last two years have been heavy growth for you. Yeah, we've dealt with the challenges of hyper growth. Uh, we've dealt with challenges of cash flow, just like any, any you know, business that's that's growing, you know, our sales went from, uh, roughly, you know, 4 million one year to 8 million to 20 million to 50 million to 150 million. Mm. Um, so it was hyper growth and doing it with physical products, right? Not software that's scalable. And, you know, you, you add a few lines of code and now you can take on another, you know, hundred million. This is physical goods, right? If we wanted to grow sales, that meant we needed to buy more goods, we needed to import more goods, and we needed to sell more goods and physically transport those to our clients. Um, so it was a big lift, uh, and you know that that was sort of the easy part, right? The the hard part was the industry that we're in, um, what most businesses don't have to deal with, and you know these are things like 
at one point we had six containers uh, seized by customs uh, because they were they were deeming them as paraphernalia. Uh, we ended up proving that they were in violation of a of a appropriations rider that protected uh, these imports, and and we got those containers back about a year later, which you know didn't make any of our clients happy, um, but at least we got them back and 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 didn't lose that money. Um, so we had things like that. We had things like uh, losing merchant processing, um, getting your bank account shut down. This is personally and professionally, uh, you know, with the business, right? So our personal accounts, our, our business accounts, um, trying to find banks that would bank us. So all sorts of challenges that anyone that's been in the cannabis industry can tell you. But, you know, at a more granular level, um, there was challenges, you know, with our market. So as we mentioned in the, in the medical dispensaries early days, we were selling packaging to dispensaries who were doing a deli style filling method. And so they would actually have a blank jar uh, or vial or cush bottle in our case, and they would um, have a mason jar style filled of cannabis and they would then weigh out, you know, a gram or an eighth in front of the patient. And then they would uh, label, uh, hand write a label and put what strain it was and the quantity. And then they'd slap the label on and then they'd throw that into a, you know, RX bag, you know, essentially a paper bag and, you know, off, off the patient went, um, all of a sudden with the, with the regulations coming into place, uh, they determined that, you know, these products now needed to be pre-packaged and pre-sealed at the cultivation level, right? No different than if you're going into your local whole foods, Hmm. um, you know, there's a few bulk bins, but most of the goods are pre-packaged, pre-sealed and pre-labeled, you know, your beef jerky or, your, your snacks, your potato chips, whatever it is. Right. Um, so we kind of knew that it was going to go that way, but again, all of a sudden we have a robust customer base of dispensaries that are used to buying our products. Those are no longer our customers. Our com- customers are now moving to the growers mm. who we had to quickly establish relationships with and, and, you know, figure out, you know, unique selling points and, and, and product portfolio for that new demographic. So, Things like that that just pop up and all of a sudden, you know, you've got a shift and regulations have been shifting ever since Colorado legalized and regulated in 2014. They probably changed their packaging regs a dozen times. So you have these products that you think are compliant and and um, effective for that market. All of a sudden they're not. And you've got to find new products that are. Um, so these types of challenges in, in a fast emerging market, but not to mention a highly regulated market that's at odds, state law is at odds with federal law. So you have all these confluence of factors that create an ever-changing dynamic environment as a business owner and entrepreneur, you're constantly adjusting and, and positioning and trying to keep growing throughout all of this. So it's interesting. I, I interviewed the CEO of Wana Brands uh, a couple weeks ago here on, here on the podcast, and and we were talking about the challenges of ten years ago, and it was a lot of similar things, you know, mm-hmm. that they had even on on the edibles side of just the regulations changing and working in several states. Every state has different rules for her, uh, but one of the things we talked about was getting started ten years ago. It wasn't like at the you know the PTA meetings, you know, she could tell people necessarily what she did because not everybody was on board when you started the business. Was this something that, you know, maybe you didn't mention to grandma? I mean, you know, it's probably different today, but what were some of the personal challenges that you had of saying, hey, we're going into this industry? Was there pushback? 
Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, Nancy is a true pioneer. I'm glad you got to connect with oh, her. She was one of the best interviews of 2020 without a question. You should go listen to that. She was I, fantastic. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Big fan of hers and Juana. And, you know, uh, look, it, it certainly had a gigantic stigma. The stigma is slowly eroding. We still have a long way to go. Um, you know, early days. Yeah. You, you didn't want to tell people you were in the industry. Uh, you know, we had the advantage of being ancillary. And I, I remember, you know, going to family gatherings and people saying, yeah, you know, my dad, your dad tells me you're now in the, the marijuana business, but <laughs> you, you do, you do, you just sell the packaging. You don't, you don't actually touch the stuff, do you? You don't touch the, the plant. <laughs> oh no, no, no. God, God, no, we wouldn't, you know, <laughs> we'd never, never we'd never try that. Yeah. We'd never, we never go that far. That's the, you that's know, the, de- that's the devil's weed. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, you had, you had that, um, you know, I was, um, you know, fortunate, as I mentioned, we, we founded another company in 2012 and a technology company and construction industry. And so, you know, a lot of times I'd say that, you know, Oh yeah, I got this, you know, big rents company. You kind of leave the, leave the marijuana one out of it. But it was interesting because it all shifted um, shortly after Colorado legalized, say 2015, 2016. And, you know, it became something you didn't want to say at a dinner party or a family gathering to something that you led with because people were so interested and they just want to talk for hours about what was it like, what was happening, you know, how things were, you know, kind of developing in this, in this, you know, now, you know, exciting, you know, sexy market. Right. And, um, you know, it shifted quickly, but it was still taboo. And, you know, even when we became a, you know, we were public, one of the first publicly traded companies um, out of necessity. Uh, you know, people think of these companies going public. It's not like your IPO where it's the culmination of, you know, years or decades of efforts. It's, it's, Hey, you have no other way to raise money. You have to go public. Um, cause the we banks, one, cause the banks can't lend to you. Is that right? Exactly. The banks can't lend the venture capitalists can't invest. Um, you know, Good luck getting private equity or, or institutional capital. Or although, private- although that is that has changed now, it's starting to change. It's starting to change, and uh, you know, so as a public company, and I remember now a lot of other cannabis companies started going public a few years after us, and they were meeting with institutional investors, and the executives of these companies were telling investors, "Yeah, we think we can profit on this industry, but you know, we don't consume the stuff." <laughs> <laughs> and just think about, I just thought about it. I said, imagine being a, an executive at an alcohol company or a soda company and saying, Hey, now we think we can make money off this, but we don't drink, we don't drink our products. It's like unheard of. Right. So why such a stigma? And so I took the opposite approach and, and I said, look, I want, I want to, my, at least at my company, if, if people would feel comfortable gathering and, and, and drinking an alcohol beverage, they should feel comfortable uh, taking a, a cannabis edible or even smoking a joint in a, in a smoking area. Um, and it's slowly starting to change, but we're, we're nowhere where we need to be in terms of the destigmatization of cannabis, even though we're making a lot of progress so on c- the legalization. So come on, tell us the truth. Now, when you go to a family party, that, 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 that uncle comes up to you and says, can you score me some? <laughs> 
It, yeah, everybody wants to try now. You know, they're, they're getting kind of curious. <laughs> so what advice do you have? I mean, you know, you have a company that's, you know, doing hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, in sales. What advice do you have for someone who's starting a business that might be in an industry that's a little challenging, a little off the mainstream? What advice do you have for others? You know, I think the best the best advice um, is, you know, be prepared to change, be prepared to adapt. Um, you know, uh, what's the famous quote? You know, no, uh, you know, no war plan survives the first battle. Right. So you're going to get you're going to get out there and um, things are going to change. Right. And, and you got to be ready to adjust. And so anybody that gets too married to uh, one idea or one you know plan, uh, they're going to struggle. And you got to keep an open mind. You, you also be prepared to deal with, you know, the, the fallout, right? And and I mean that uh, seriously. Losing personal bank accounts, brokerage accounts, fi- traditional financial institutions saying we do not want to do business with you because of your affiliation with this industry. Um, and I've had ev- heard even worse. You know, fortunately, it hasn't happened to me. But people losing their their health insurance or their um, life insurance. Uh, because, you know, they're affiliated with the industry. So there's still that stigma. It's still federally illegal. Um, You're going to have a lot of red tape. You're going to have a lot of risk. um, And you're going to have an ever-changing environment that you always constantly have to to navigate. Um, But on the flip side, you're going to have a hell of a lot of fun, right? It's it's a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to participate in something like this that's uh, emerging from illicit to legal and actually now with the pandemic essential yeah uh where we've seen that designation almost unanimously for the industry um it's really exciting and when you think about the 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 healing component and the people that actually need this product and that they can get off of opioids um it can help with pain management with cancer treatment um it's very rewarding uh to be in this industry as well so it never uh, i don't think um certainly in my life but you know, in, in maybe a generation, have we had something that on one hand it is so compelling, um, but on the other end is so challenging. And uh, if you're if you can find success, um, as you can imagine, it's very rewarding. So it's interesting because you talk about essential when uh, the lockdowns all started mid-March. I remember a story, and, and I might not have it exactly right, but the, the gist of the story was that the Colorado governor was putting in some pretty strict rules about everything closing for like three to four weeks, and liquor stores and dispensaries were on the list. And like within hours, doctors had actually called the governor's office and said, look, we have enough problems with the pandemic. We don't want people freaking out with their anxiety. We don't want people detoxing from alcohol. That The dispensaries and the liquor stores you know, if you close them, you're creating more problems for doctors. And they they reversed on that in a matter of hours. And I thought that was kind of a fascinating, a fascinating little headline. Yeah, uh, you're exactly you're exactly right. I I remember that. Um, And, you know, we're seeing it now, right? The mental health uh, fallout of, of the pandemic. Well, that could be a whole a whole other podcast. The mental health yeah, problems it, that have come up this year are harsh. Greater than uh, been greater than a lot of the damage we've already suffered. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is a, a very viable, um, you know, an important medicine uh, for society as a whole. And it's great to see the misinformation 
being corrected and, and people starting to really understand the facts and, and starting to experience and, and, and actually, you know, try the product and for, for various reasons and, and find success. So, Nick, I've got a couple of more questions for you before I'm going to let you go. But first, I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this Great. episode, like all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly, they take the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people who are making waves like Nick Kovacevic. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show because they'll give you a little discount if you tell them you found out about them through this podcast. That's pretty awesome. So, Nick, your story of starting the business and everything, it's, it's been a lot of fun to hear. And your advice that you have for people was spot on. So I always end the show by asking people, I, I used to call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So I still like to ask people from time to time, what's the coolest thing you're doing at the company right now? So what's what's the coolest thing going on with Kush? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Um, well, we are a publicly traded company, so I got to think about uh, what I am allowed to say. You know, <laughs> we've got our, our, our little... Uh, innovations that we work on behind the scenes that, that aren't out there. But, um, you know, honestly, one of the coolest things we're doing right now is, um, we're rolling out a, uh, a 401k plan. Um, and you know, that, that wouldn't be cool in other industries, but it's pretty rare in our industry and we have a very young workforce. And so that's cool to be able to do that and, and, um, you know, have a program where the employer can, can match some of that, those savings and help people help people save for retirement. Um, so that's cool. I mean, look, we've got, you know, really cool products that we're working on, um, that, that we're bringing out. We've got some technology that we're working on to support our clients. Uh, cannabis, um, is such a big business now. You just think about the amount of, uh, products that are needed to support it. And, you know, we've got containers coming over from all sorts of countries every single, uh, you know, every single day. And, um, right now it's, it's a crazy time to be managing logistics, um, if you've uh -huh. seen the ports, the, the ports are extremely backed up. Um, so we've got some really cool technology that we're launching that gives, uh, our customers visibility into those shipments, the logistics inventory levels, um, really, um, helps them manage, um, these types of supplies, which, you know, they're small when you think about the revenue. Um, you know, when you think about a product on a shelf, packaging is a very small cost, but it's integral, especially in a compliant you know, regulatory compliance uh, industry. If you don't have your packaging, you don't sell product. Mm -hmm. So it's a small piece, but it's vital. And so being able to manage that part of the supply chain for our clients, they give that responsibility to us. It's a great honor. It's a great responsibility. But then being able to add tools to make it more collaborative and give them the visibility and, and the ability to manage it, um, it's, it's exciting. And so we've got some cool stuff we're launching that uh, – you know, our, our clients are already, you know, chomping at the bit to, to get into. And um, it only help our business be smoother and their business be smoother and, you know, continue to get uh, millions of, of marijuana packages on the shelves of 
cannabis retailers near you. So what do you think the future is for the cannabis industry? You think all 50 states are going to make it legal? What's your prediction, if you can make one? Oh, 100%. I think, uh, you know, it's just a matter of when, not if. Uh, you know, I do a lot of uh, work on these, um, on, the, on the legislative side of things. I was uh, recently had an op-ed published on Fox News. I, I did an interview last week with uh, Congressman Matt Gates, who was the only Republican co-sponsor the Moore Act, which just uh, was passed in the in the House. Um, you know, that's the first time, you know, any branch of government has voted to legalize um, since, you know, marijuana became illegal in 1970. So 50 years and we finally had a vote now that it's not going to pass the Senate uh, at this point. Uh, but, you know, it is, uh, you know, just a momentous occasion. Um, we saw the UN just uh, reschedule or deschedule cannabis. You know, we see Mexico looking to legalize alongside Canada. So, you know, you got Mexico legal, hopefully by Q1 of next year, Canada has been legal now for going on two years. And it's only a, ma- a matter of when the U S finally gets it done. Um, so a lot of momentum uh, we saw with, with uh, um, you know, gay marriage, it was a 10 year arc from when Massachusetts is the first state to, to legalize to when, uh, finally, um, uh, President Obama legalized it federally. And uh, cannabis is coming up on that 10-year arc. When you think of Colorado, um, it was officially voted uh, to legalize for adult use in, in November of 2012. And I think uh, we probably have legalization somewhere around that 10-year mark, which would put us in 2022, um, if not sooner, just because things are moving a little faster. And we've seen that same level of public support. It's up to about 70%. Um, so it's fascinating, um, you know, for the industry, uh, we just see growth everywhere. We've got new states coming online, New Jersey being the big one that just voted it in, Arizona, Montana, South Dakota, even Mississippi for medical. So there's no shortage of growth opportunity. Um, and we're getting to that tipping point where it will become uh, federally legal. And it's just a matter of how. And, you know, you have a new administration coming into the executive branch that, you know, Kamala Harris certainly supports uh, legalizing and and, pre- and President-elect Biden uh, supports decriminalizing. So, mm-hmm. so much win at our sales, finally, after going through a couple tough years uh, of ups and downs. And, uh, you know, now we ha- it seems like we have some tailwinds behind us and it's, it's exciting. I, I just told my staff today, it's never been more uh, of an exciting time to be in this industry. Nice. So the last question I love to ask everybody who comes on the show is beyond your industry where you're obviously making waves and doing some good stuff beyond your industry. When you look out into the business world in general, doesn't have to be the, the world of cannabis could be who do you look at in a leadership role where you say, wow, she or he, they're the person who's making waves. Who do you admire? Yeah. Um, yeah, another good question. Uh, you know, I think right now it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of um, really exciting stories. Uh, you know, we just saw Airbnb go public, DoorDash. Um, you know, the Airbnb story is amazing. Um, and and those, those founders, the CEO, Brian Chesky, I mean, it's hard not to respect what they've done. And, you know, at one point they're, you know, they were thinking of folding up shop and got into Y Combinator and you know, the rest is history, but a lot of work along the way. And they really believe in the, in, in the value that they're providing to the, to the community. So I think that's a, that's a great one, really relevant. 
Um, but I read a lot of books. I'm a big fan of Elon Musk. Um, love what he's doing. And uh, it's hard not to it's hard not to look up to him. And and, um, and and he just announced that he personally is moving to Texas and Tesla's building a big plant in Austin. So uh, we like we yeah. like we like Elon here in Texas. I know everyone seems to be leaving, uh, leaving California, unfortunately. Yeah. Or- Oracle just a week or so back said that they're leaving HP the week before that. So Texas, we'll take them all. If Kush wants to move to Texas, we'll take you. Hey, you know what? Just get it legalized there for me and I'm, I'm on my way. <laughs> all right. Well, that's good to know. We'll, we'll hold you to that when uh, Texas legalizes it in uh, 2097, I think. <laughs> Texas, Texas might be your last state, but you know, whatever. So we'll see if more Californians move there. It'll happen soon. <laughs> so they're they're coming, man. They're coming. And and I, and I shouldn't mock that. I grew up in Southern California. My wife grew up in Northern California. And 30 years ago, we moved to Austin because clearly we're visionaries. We did it before everybody else. Oh, but, uh, but we're we're still here. So, Nick, thank you so much for being a guest here on Making Waves at Sea Level. Any any last words? Uh, well, my last words uh, would be that. Um, you know, one of the things we've been really focused on is this idea of um, ESG, environmental, social, and government governance. And it's it's popular, you know, I'm not saying this for the first time, I'm sure, on your show. But, um, you know, it's I think it's more important than ever in the world that we're in uh, that companies do take on this responsibility. Um, we're doing a lot of initiatives. As a packaging company, obviously, the environmental piece is, is key. Um, you know, it's unfortunate the amount of plastic that we've put into the environment as a company as an industry and so we're working on compostable solutions that we do have some in the market today and more to come uh and then on the on the social side i mean uh, if we learned anything this year you know it's that um you know there's a lot of social unrest in this country and there's wrongs that do need to be righted and as companies especially leaders in industries um, you, I believe you do have a, a, a burden to uh, an onus to really, um, you know, create some of that change that you want to see. Um, we're proud to have partnered with Mission Green, who's a uh, leading group. Um, the founder, incredible story. They've got a HBO documentary coming out soon. I don't know if it's HBO, but it's, it's going to be a big documentary and talks about how he was sentenced unfairly to 55 years in prison for dealing a very small amount of cannabis and Luckily got out early through a crazy heroic effort, bipartisan support, um, involved everyone from Snoop Dogg to the Koch brothers. And uh, now he's made Now that's an interesting combination. That's a whole whole other talk. (laughs) Oh, no, it's it's incredible. You got to see the documentary when it comes out. And, uh, you know, now he's made it his mission to get others out. Um, We just saw the longest standing uh, prisoner for marijuana uh, released, I think it was this week or, or last week. And... Um, you know, we're very active in that, in that partnership. We just, uh, we have an initiative called children in the community. Um, and we raised, um, we got over a hundred thousand books as part of a book drive for, for kids. Um, and we just, we just completed that book drive. We're, we're doing a lot of stuff. It's all on our website, kushco.com. There's a section called hashtag kush cares, and you can read about all the things that we're doing. So, you know, my, my last piece uh, that I'd like to say is, you know, encourage other companies to step up and and do the same. Um, If we all do our part, uh, you know, we can certainly make the world a better place. And I think the days of of saying, hey, you know, corporations are separate from, uh, you know, from from uh, social uh, initiatives. You can't do that anymore. Right. You've got to embrace it 
and, and find something that matters to you, matters to your industry and go out there and, and, and do something positive for, for, for our country and for your, your communities at large. Yep. And one of the questions, and, and we're out of time, but one of the questions I used to always ask guests is, what do you do to give back to the greater good? And one of the reasons is, I think that companies, whether it's a solo opener who works for himself, or if it's a big multi-hundred million dollar a year uh, conglomerate, I think they all have to be thinking about, what do I do to give back to the greater good? So I fully, I fully agree with you. So Nick, Nick Kovacevic, thank you so much for being a guest here on the show. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every single week. If it wasn't for the audience, why would I do this podcast? I'll tell you what, I have been doing this show for over six years and now over 620 episodes. And we're not stopping anytime soon. So I do it for the audience. I learn a lot, but I hope you learn a lot. So come back every Tuesday and Thursday. We're here with interviews with people who are making waves who are just as cool as Nick. And I know you're thinking, how are you going to get somebody as cool as Nick? But we do it every single time, twice a week. So go out there and flex your entrepreneurial muscles. Make sure your career ladder is against the right wall because it sucks to climb to the top and realize you did it in the wrong place. And then while you're out there doing all this stuff, have some fun. Go have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.